From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with congressional candidate Alicia Shelton. Voters want better jobs, they want better pay, and they want to make sure that they have access to health care, and they are not feeling that from the current incumbent. So when I talk with them, they are excited that there's an everyday person who grew up in Nebraska, who understands and has worked in different districts and is willing to listen to them. And in every capacity that we have these conversations, they are ready for the change. And I know that I'm the change that they wanna see. We talk about what motivated Sheldon to run for office, what her approach to representing Nebraska and the House of Representatives would be, and the vision she brings for America. Stay tuned for that conversation after this break. Riverside Chats is sponsored by listeners like you. Pitch in to keep this podcast going strong, bringing you the unique perspectives, personalities, and topics you love. Click the listener support link in the podcast notes for this episode to learn more. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Alicia Shelton, who is running to represent Nebraska's second congressional district in the House of Representatives, a seat currently held by incumbent Don Bacon. Here is our conversation. So in uh, 2016, felt like this seismic shift in American politics, which continued throughout 2018 and then evolved in some ways through 2020. And I don't know, sometimes I'm unclear about what exactly the state or direction American politics is going in. Um, Many people I've interviewed have said that 2016 was this turning point where maybe they never envisioned themselves running for office, but something, uh, well, Donald Trump getting elected mostly uh, compelled them to run, to get involved, and they sort of felt like now they have to be involved in a way they w- didn't feel like they had to before. Was was that, a, was that the case for you? Was 2016 a big sort of turning point in your life? Uh, that's so interesting. I've never correlated. Um, yes, 2016 is the year that Donald Trump was in office and also uh, a turning point, but for a few different reasons for me. 2016 is the year that I started working on the Winnebago Reservation at their hospital. At that time, it was an Indian uh, health services site, an IHS site, meaning it was run by the government. Uh, And that was the first time in my life that I felt that I was taking off rose-colored glasses. I could not understand why people here in my own state were dying from complications of diabetes. The time that I started working there, they were losing like three people a week. Uh, People were going blind from diabetes, you know, uh, losing limbs. And then if you know anyone who's diabetic, uh, when they have a surgery or a wound, it doesn't heal appropriately. So then they have wound care. And so from complications, people were ending their life. Uh, And I was I called my mom, who is a nurse, and I'm like, Mom, this is happening in Nebraska. I thought we beat these this in the 80s. Like. I thought we knew how to manage diabetes. What's happening here? Um, And so that was kind of my start into diving into politics, trying to get a change with the resources I already had uh, and take into account 14 years before that, I was within my sorority registering voters, doing letter writing parties, explaining that, you know what, it doesn't matter if you didn't vote for this person, if they are your elected official, you know, in this office, you can still reach out to them and request a meeting and send them a letter and talk with them. Um, And so the pivotal moment for me was honestly seeing what was happening in my own state. And I had no clue that this was going on in Indian country. Well, so when the rose colored glasses came off and you saw the reality, I mean, what were what was the reason why there were these complications with diabetes? What was what was the problem? So they at the time was the government was for this specific hospital doing something called AB staffing, where providers, medical providers, medical doctors would come in for 90 days on assignment and rotate out. So when I started getting close to the problem and trying to understand what was happening, people were not aware that they were diabetic. Uh, They were not aware that they needed medication because at this hospital, the medication is free. There were tons of miscommunication (laughs) 
specifically just because people, there was such a big rotation of people being in and out. So I think about, you know, as someone, and as an everyday person who grew up here, if you think about a job, right? And when we're always trying to make sure that we retain employees, if you had employees completely changing every three months, what might your company look like? That's what was happening at the hospital. And so, I mean, is there a component as well then that there's just different levels of care for different sorts of people? For example, Native Americans on a reservation maybe don't get the care or attention when there are these sorts of problems? Well, you know, uh, I've also worked at Charles Drew Health Center, which is a federally qualified health center. And in marginalized communities, this is something that we see, right? We see that we don't have uh, equal access to care. Uh, Things end up being different. Medications that are available aren't always available in these specific hospitals, in these specific pharmacies. Uh, One of the biggest reasons where I, I went down and started working in Winnebago was because they did not have a mental health department. They had one person who was provisional, had just graduated from college and they wanted me to come and build their mental health department. And so what we did was we immediately started seeing anybody who was diabetic. We worked with the diabetic nurses and made sure that we at least had like a warm handoff or one appointment with them to understand how we could help and also try to do some navigating in their file to be able to give them information on if they were diabetic or not and what they could do to manage that. And so part of your sort of takeaway from all this then is maybe there should be people in office who are aware of some of this, uh, who know what to do. Because I mean, like most of the people who get into office seem like they come from basically they have a law degree and have done, I don't know, some kind of job that relates to something like that. I don't know that there are a whole lot of people in Congress who have really any kind of medical treatment uh, background or uh, experience. Yeah, I love policies. And unfortunately, I've seen working in both places and just being someone who's a a licensed mental health practitioner, uh, professional counselor, I've seen problems with the policies, right? Um, And I traveled up to D.C. to talk to my elected officials specifically about this and what was happening in Winnebago. Uh, And I wasn't able to talk with any one of them. Uh, They did not keep their appointments. Uh, For Senator Sass, I met with his intern and uh, for Senator Fisher, her office door was locked when I arrived uh, and they knew that we were coming. So that was very disappointing. And I decided uh, when I got back home that, you know what, I need to be the change that I want to see. I'm an everyday person who is close to the problem. I'm also a mental health therapist who understands how to talk to people, how to listen to people, and most importantly, how to advocate for others. And that is the reason why I want to get involved in politics, but more specifically, run for Congress because Nebraskans deserve a representative who will be here when they need them. They deserve an advocate who won't forget about them like Don Bacon. Well, so regarding your story there about trying to reach out to representatives, other than making sure that you are in the building and have an open door, what does it mean to be a good listener and how did you learn how to become one? Oh, my uh, education experience and years, years, years of, of, of making uh, mistakes, honestly. I think becoming a good listener and an active listener means that while you are in a conversation with someone, you are just focused on what they are saying. Uh, you are not trying to uh, you know, create a solution automatically. Uh, you're not trying to overtalk them. You're just trying to understand. And so for most of my life, I have always had the ability to put myself in someone else's shoes and to kind of paint the picture in my mind of what that might look like as they're describing it to me. Uh, as I traveled to Winnebago, I really got into audiobooks. And when I talk with people, it's exactly like that, as if I'm trying to imagine, right, what this, what this situation looks like, what their life story is. And that is so helpful to me because that's the best way for me to create a policy with a person in mind. If I don't have a point of reference, if I don't have a family, if I don't, you know, haven't talked with individuals and heard that they have uh, prescription drug costs that are so high and they're on disability and all they have is $792 a month and they're trying to understand how they are going to keep this medication uh, that they need for their chronic condition, then I can paint the picture and think, oh, wow, that sounds like it'd be really terrible, especially if, you know, I like to drink uh, coffee and I like to buy this and I like to eat out sometimes. And how would that be for me? Uh, so that's exactly uh, what I have learned that 
listening to others is such a great skill um, and helps me understand number one, the problem and number two, the solution, because people will typically tell you what it is they want and what could make their lives better. It seems to me that maybe one of the reasons why some of our representatives are not uh, as receptive to constituent requests to meet with them, like the one you did or the ones you tried to do, is because in sort of a safe district, partisan lines often do a lot more work than actually having to run or having to engage in a community really is required. You're not required to be as involved if you can kind of bank on the fact that a lot of people will just vote by party line, right? But also that creates some issues when even though we are in a, a purple district, sometimes it's difficult to get people across party lines to talk to each other, to be open to each other, because a lot of the it just becomes sort of stuck on these big wedge issues and the demonization of whoever you know you don't like in the whatever party you're not in. So how do you how do you navigate the polarized world in the polarized district sometimes that we live in? You know, um, I was raised by a, a single mother. Uh, I'm the fourth of, of eight siblings. And my mother always taught me to treat people how you want to be treated, right? That's like the golden rule. And for me and everything that I've done, I've never needed to know anyone's party affiliation. Uh, when I go to a restaurant, you know, the, the wait staff that comes to greet me, they may tell me their name. And, and that's amazing because I want to address them with their name, but I don't ask them what their party affiliation is. Uh, when I'm counseling folks, I don't say, by the way, what is your party affiliation? I just need to know their name and their pronouns. And so for me, I think that we have gotten to a point where we are drawing a line in the sand for no reason. Uh, what happened to the good old days when we would be there for one another and simply help because because you're human, because you're on this earth, because you're breathing the same air that I am breathing. I have Republican members in my family. I have a large amount of military folks in my family. In fact, every branch of the military is in my family through my uncles, through my, you know, my grandparents, through my cousins, men and women in my family. Um, and we still have a conversation. We are able to go back and forth and I still love them. It doesn't exclude them from the family because they decided to be a different party from mine. Um, all in all, we're all Americans and we all want access to the American dream. And that's what we should be talking about. What is going to help the families that are in this district? What is going to make our lives easier, especially with inflation and everything that is going on in the country right now? If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Alicia Shelton, who is running to represent Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District in the House of Representatives, a seat currently held by incumbent Don Bacon. What actions do you want to see from your representatives in Congress? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on one of our upcoming shows. Do you think there's any tangible benefit to having the two-party system? You know, I think that I am someone who uh, really loves really loves to respect people's values and their beliefs and their decisions. Um, and there may be someone who is hardcore believing uh, the Republican Party system, uh, the independent system, <laughs> the democratic system, and maybe they color their life right in between those lines. And that is their right. What I do respect is people's choice. And if they determine that they uh, you know, don't like to be a part of this system, uh, and those who do, I don't think that it's up to me to make a decision. It's up to me to represent people, to help people get their needs met in every capacity that I'm able to do that. Well, so with your focus on communication and mm -hmm. your dedication to talking to constituents, making sure you're there for them, there's sort of two elements in in Congress where communication is really going to be key, where one is that constituent one, right? Are you able to represent the people who voted you in? But then the other is when you actually are in Congress surrounded by other people in the House of Representatives. It's a system where it seems like largely it's a it's a uh, not necessarily something where there's a whole lot of debate actually happening. We sort of romanticize this idea that everybody's up there giving these speeches, debating concepts, philosophies, whereas it seems like a lot of the time, in fact, it's party leaders kind of dictating what's a, what's going to come up for a vote because they already know they have the votes for it. And so it feels very procedural and less exploratory. Uh, and also that seems like it adds to some of the gridlock and polarization at the national level. So how would you go about communicating and bringing some of those skills to the House of Representatives? Yeah, I think it is so important 
uh, we don't talk enough about what happens in committee meetings. Uh, we don't talk enough about the committees that our individual representatives are on. Um, and so I think that it is important that we have those discussions. I would be the person who would be in the committee meeting bringing up all of the individuals that I have spoken to or have been around, right? Uh, or have given me information that help ingrain these policies in my mind. I have to uplift their issues and their causes in these committee meetings. Um, and I think that it's not about voting along party lines. It's about voting for what's right for the people in your district. What is the will of the people? And we don't hear that enough. So yes, while it's a, a, a an amazing thing that we know what's coming down the pipe and what we are going to have to talk about, we still have to have these discussions in those meetings that occur, right, outside of the floor. We still need to have these discussions about what is going what it's going to do for Nebraskans, how it's going to impact us, and what where uh, where we need to go based on that. And I think that that's super important. So I would be talking and lifting up voices and making sure that we are negotiating to push the needle forward. So sometimes I find it difficult to decide what exactly Omaha voters want. I mean, we're this sort of purple district within a fairly red state. And I don't know that sometimes there's a lot of uh, there's people voting on both sides. Sometimes there are voters who will split the ticket. And sometimes, like in our most recent municipal election, it kind of feels like there's almost an apathy among a lot of eligible voters. Uh, we also had this situation where I think it was the biggest swing from the amount of people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 to Joe Biden in 2020 in the nation as far as a, the swing in a district goes. So, I mean, essentially, I don't know, I guess there are people whose minds change, who maybe want something one year and want something very different the next. So what, do you, what are you seeing that tells you Nebraska wants a new direction in its congressional representation? So in the conversations that I'm having with voters on the ground, they are very frustrated with our current uh, incumbent, Don Bacon. What they are saying to me in conversations on social media and emails that I receive, uh, especially if we send an email out, you know, about a specific issue, uh, they reply and they give me additional details. And what they're saying is, look, it feels like Don Bacon has forgotten about the heartland. He's gone to Washington and he's become an insider, right? And, and that, whether that's true or not, the fact is that they feel that he is no longer representing them. Uh, they feel that he was not here for them in the middle of the pandemic, and he did not vote for the vaccines, right? He didn't vote for the child tax credit. So these substances, these policies that are helping us, their own representative did not uphold or vote for. Uh, and they are saying, look, what's happening with rural broadband right now? Everybody, most folks, we're very excited to be out and about, right? But some folks are still working from home. And what we notice in working from home is that productivity is very reliant on your internet access <laughs> and what is happening uh, in your normal hours of your business day. And that is the same thing. It's impacting our education. Uh, it was impacting uh, students who were using tablets for school, right? And so voters want better jobs. They want better pay. And they want to make sure that they have access to health care and they are not feeling that from the current incumbent. So when I talk with them, they are excited that there's an everyday person who grew up in Nebraska, who understands and has worked in different districts and is willing to listen to them. And in every capacity that we have these conversations, they are ready for the change. And I know that I'm the change that they want to see. Well, so Don Bacon, he, he's run sort of on a Jekyll and Hyde approach, it seems like, in his past electoral, uh, the past elections, where he likes to advocate for decency and humanity. And sometimes he does put forward that persona. And other times he utilizes sort of Trumpy nicknames and mailers. Like there was one that I found kind of hauntingly disturbing, where it was a picture of a city on fire with big letters that said, Comrade Kara will destroy America. And it, you know, ultimately, both these approaches, even though they're very antithetical to each other, they seem to work with their intended audience. So, I mean, what, what do you attribute his past success to? Do you think that maybe this this dissonance in his approach and his message is something that voters are noticing? You know, I think Don Bacon is very charismatic. If you have a conversation with him, he is very, very well at drawing you he does a good job at drawing you in and making you feel like he's listening to you until you hold his feet to the fire and he doesn't answer a question. Um, I think that he is strategic 
and um, stick into what his party wants. But he says in his words, something completely sometimes opposite that, right? But if you look at his voting record, <laughs> it falls right in line with President Trump and right in line with uh, the way that his, the Republican Party has voted traditionally. And so that is something that I find to be interesting that even when you have these conversations, uh, you know, you should be able to trust that your representative is at least being honest with you when they are telling you what they are going to do in your district or uh, what they support. And if they go to Washington and there's a vote that happens, you shouldn't be surprised at what the vote is going to be. You should be able to understand that they are going to be here for me when I need them. And that's exactly what I want to do and implement in this role. So one of the most central issues on your site with your platform on it is health care. So, I mean, what's your vision for what health care could look like in America? Oh, my gosh. We have a large amount of work to do for health care. I see health care as a right, not a privilege. Uh, and there are so many individuals that are struggling to get medication. Uh, the cost to even if someone is uninsured and they have, for instance, a baby, which is a really exciting, exciting uh, part, right, about the, the circle of life, uh, you're going to be caught spending thousands of dollars uh, to the hospital for that. And so what we need to do, we have the Affordable Care Act. What we need to do is uh, bring in the public option of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we need to ensure that uh, we do whatever is possible to keep the premiums low uh, so that individuals are not spending you know, hundreds of dollars just to support their family. We have families who are struggling to maintain health insurance. And lots of times what happens are they get Medicaid for their children, and then the adults in the family are uninsured. And so we really have a long way to go. That's something that I think we can get done quickly. There are many individuals who understand that, yes, the Affordable Care Act is in place right now, and there's tons of work that we need to do to change it that we can do uh, relatively quickly if we get everybody on board. Well, so, I mean, that's another issue, which is, right, there's the, the legislation getting that through the House. So assuming mm -hmm. that Nancy Pelosi is still Speaker of the House, uh, there's been attempts recently to pass Medicare for all legislation, some kind of universal health care. And she said basically she won't bring it to the floor unless she knows that there's enough votes for it to pass because she wants she doesn't want to show weakness, essentially. And it's something where I don't know, we live in this kind of weird state where I don't I think it's highly uncommon to find anyone who really loves their health insurance and how much they pay for it. But there doesn't also seem to be that much of a tangible attempt by Congress to do anything about it, even when Democrats are in control. Whereas, I guess with Republicans, there is a tangible attempt, but it's usually to dismantle elements of the Affordable Care Act. So, I mean, in this context of a Congress that doesn't seem to be especially motivated to address this issue, I mean, how do you get traction there? Well, number one, we got to take big, big money out of politics. We have to end Citizens United. As someone who has worked in a hospital, I understand fully. I've seen drug reps come into the hospital setting, right, and uh, take a doctor and, and his nurses or her nurses out uh, for state dinners. I've seen them bring medication and say, you have this unlimited supply if you prescribe X to your patients, right? Um, and transparently so this is how everyone knows this is how we got uh in the situation we are with narcotics right now like oxycodone and uh people being over prescribed that so what we have to do is honestly pull money out of politics because if you look at your our current incumbent don bacon in 2020 he was on the list uh where everybody was watching and exposing how much money he received from companies like big pharma and their packs so if we want people to vote for the will of the the, the people we also have to make sure that they're not getting bought that their vote is not being purchased by other companies that are involved with the corruption that is happening in our healthcare system so for anyone who maybe isn't familiar with Citizens United, can you give us a little bit of an overview of it and what's uh, concerning about it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, here's the thing. Citizens United, it's basically uh, a, a bill that allows individuals to 
funnel money into campaigns. Um, and, and, and when I say individuals, I mean uh, corporations. Uh, an individual has a maximum amount that they can give to a, a, a campaign and a candidate who is running for an office. Corporations can give higher amounts of dollars to individuals. Not only that, they, they can raise funds and funnel those funds into an individual's campaign. Um, the reason why this is an issue is because we have tons of people who are getting money uh, at thousands of dollars and becoming millionaires while being politicians in Washington. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't get paid for what they do. You already have an, a, a very high salary that is six figures. Why do you need more money for this race that you're running when you look at the FEC report and we have thousands of dollars uh, cash on hand remaining after the election. And so the problem is that corporations are seen in this concept to be buying politicians, so to speak. Well, and so this is one of the, I think, the most revealing concepts when you try to understand some of our issues with gridlock, some of the dissatisfaction with Congress. And then I think even to your stories about trying to talk to uh, the people who represent you ostensibly in Congress, because it provides incentive for uh, a different method of constituency, which is Mm -hmm. not necessarily local and it's not necessarily small donations, right? Correct. So, I mean, the... (laughs) I, I, I think that a lot of people are sympathetic to the idea that you could maybe solve a lot more problems if you solve this problem of Citizens United of money, corporate money that goes into politics. But I don't know how you solve that because essentially you need a lot of people to vote against their own financial interest even though it seems a lot more ethical to do so. Do you, do you think that's a realistic goal that will actually happen soon here? I think that if we have the right people who champion it, that it could be a realistic goal. Like you brought up a really key word that I think that we lose in translation a lot, and that's ethics. As a mental health practitioner, I have a code of ethics that I have to live by. Doctors have a code of ethics that they have to live by, right? And if you don't, you can lose your license. Why are politicians not following ethics? They only have congressmen and women uh, and uh, one term, or excuse me, their terms are for two years, right? And so every term they have to take a small ethics training. I think when I looked into it, you know, I can't remember the amount of hours. I think it's somewhere between like four hours or something like that. But you have to take an ethics training once. Why is it only once? I don't understand what's happening here. So I feel like if we have enough people to sound the alarm, when you look at the amount of people, every single poll that has been released, the word that Americans do not like is corruption. What they do not want to be a part of is corruption. And so there's overwhelmingly support to take corruption out of politics. We just have to have people who are brave enough to stand up and do so. And that's why I've rejected corporate PAC money. And I am so far, I believe, the only candidate who has outwardly spoken to say, I am not taking corporate PAC dollars in this race. Well, I think you bring up a good distinction, which is there are consequences if a doctor or if a medical practitioner is unethical. There is that threat of losing your livelihood, losing your job, losing your license. There's not really an equivalent of that for Congress, right? So, I mean, basically there has to be a built-in system of accountability. And I think we've seen a lot of questions of whether there is a lot of accountability in Congress, particularly in the polarized world when we think back to, like, the impeachment votes, which, once again, went down party lines, ideally, or it seems like essentially party line, other than a couple exceptions, which, I don't know, it seems seems to be something where if you're in the right party, a lot of people will turn the other way when you do anything, And there isn't really accountability unless voters choose to vote somebody out of office in those couple of years. But I don't know if that's really working, right? It seems like when we talk about corruption, uh, there's a lot – there's maybe a lot happening, a lot you could point to that looks corrupt, that looks suspicious. But there's not necessarily a huge translation into mobilized voting in other directions into other types of candidates. Do you see this changing? Do you see like is there is there a movement maybe spreading because there's frustration with some of this lack of change and lack of transparency as far as what is ethical and what's not? I do see it changing. You know, I think that the the biggest point that that I can point out is that our messaging needs to change. 
we constantly get on here and we speak to people about this is these are our values and this is what we want and sometimes you go to the other side and what they're using is fair tactics um and they they might say you absolutely don't want i don't know this specific action done because it will lead to x y and z and i think that sometimes us uh so i'm a part of the democratic party right and i think some members of the democratic party what we do is we don't do a good job at speaking about the problem and the issue right our message isn't there people have to understand what it is that you are saying and not only that people are so very busy and so if i can't get it out in 30 seconds uh to a minute what it is that i'm looking for you to do why i want you to vote for me why i feel like i'm the best candidate then how can i explain any other policy to you if i'm not getting to the meat and potatoes of what we need to get done what can a person do with that especially if the other side is doing a really good job at tying it to tying the issues bringing up the issues bringing up the solution every single time that they speak so i think that we need to do a better job at, at just coming down with the basic points of what the issue is and what the solution is and can, making sure that we are repetitive in that uh, and bringing it up when people ask questions and how it relates to one another i think we can do better at messaging I'm talking with Alicia Shelton, who is running to represent Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District in the House of Representatives, a seat currently held by incumbent Don Bacon. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of this conversation after the break. Strange planets. So we're going on day 14. Shuttle still hasn't come. Mystifying starships. Looking up. I mean, whoa. Had to be rich to take that ride. Bigger than any ship I'd ever seen before. Curious technology. Set into oh, uh, 21st century Earth, West Indian accent. I love that one. Are you out of your skull? And a fantastic vision of the distant future. Featuring Martin Starr. That's the Sunday shuttle landing. Our last visitors before they shut the topiary down tomorrow. Aparna Nuncherla. The security system provides you with emotional security. You do the rest. Echo Kellum. Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry Kondabolu. Yeah, you don't need to fill anything out or sign me up for anything. I'm staying. Brent Weinbach. Residents may accuse you of lying. This is common. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jeffrey McGiver. Could you play Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun? I'm sure we can. It's for my daughter. Of course, sir. And many more. It's The Outer Reach. Stories from Beyond. Every episode of this science fiction anthology is now available for free at MaximumFun.org or anywhere you listen. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. I'm talking with Alicia Shelton, who is running to represent Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District in the House of Representatives, a seat currently held by incumbent Don Bacon. Here's the rest of our conversation. So another priority on your site is economic recovery. You, the site reads that we need an economic recovery that puts us first. We need quality education and job training programs that help us land better quality and higher paying jobs. So what, what does that look like? How do you do that? So an economic recovery, number one, we have got we have got to increase the minimum wage. By now, we all have been speaking about $15 an hour. I would support 
definitely increasing it to $15 an hour. But I would also support a study where ever so often, you know, maybe every two years we could understand, get a report of when we should increase it again. Because if you look from state to state, uh, a family cannot survive on, uh, you know, if a head of household is only making $15 an hour, uh, an hour if it's a single family. The other thing that we need to do is take care of one another. This pandemic has been extremely difficult. We have seen mental health issues increase. Uh, we have seen medical issues increase. Obviously, the, the pandemic has been attacking right your, your medical organs uh, with coronavirus. What we need to do is implement unlimited PTO. I don't know why we don't have that. Most statistically, most companies, when you look at the data, if you have unlimited PTO, the productivity is typically higher. The other thing that we need to do is support unions. Unions are the heart and the voice of the people. I worked at Kellogg's in Omaha um, for four summers. It was how I paid my tuition, the remaining portions of my tuition. I went to uh, Xavier University in Louisiana on a partial scholarship. So I came home every summer and this was how I was able to pay my tuition um, at my college. And it was the first place I joined a union. And I developed a relationship with, a, with my union steward uh, and with the folks that I was working with that was so amazing. One day I was driving on a tractor in a warehouse, which as a seasonal employee, that's kind of like the top of the line. It's pretty fun to be in a warehouse and uh, be driving and moving cereal boxes. Uh, and one day um, something was going on with my eye. I thought I might've just been having pink eye, but my union steward came up to me and said, you know, I, I, think some, I think you need to get that checked out. Are you familiar with how to do so? You can do a workman's comp claim. And I'm like, no, 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 this is probably just pink eye. And he was like, that, actually, I think after your shift, I need you to go and get this checked out immediately. I'm gonna go talk to HR and make the appointment. It could be something different. I went in and it was actually scrap metal. I had a piece of scrap metal in my eye. Wow. I had to take iodine drops for a period of time. You know, I had to uh, wear covering over my eye. I had no idea that something like that could happen, especially when you're required to have goggles. It was people looking out for people. Um, and so that is something that we have to encourage. We have to uh, start teaching individuals about unions at an early age. It should be in our high school curriculum. And so that is part of the recovery plan that I am speaking of. The best way for us to uh, ensure that we have support uh, is to help the people. And finally, I don't know that everybody has is familiar with what has happened in this pandemic. I have a husband who works in logistics. I know a few people uh, who work for Union Pacific, right? ConAgra, lots of these shipping companies. We are down truck drivers. Uh, our production stopped. It wasn't at the volume that it typically is in the pandemic. And this has been typically uniformed around <laughs> to most areas. And so for instance, uh, ConAgra, right? Um, they make some TV dinners. They have been struggling with potato flakes and getting that to some factories so that they can have their TV dinners. And so when we are going to the grocery store and we're seeing that the cost of milk is up, the cost of eggs is up, the cost of meat is up, our, our dinners are up, to buy a salad it's up. Most of this is because our production still has not caught up to the speed that it was before the, the pandemic occurred. And so we need to offer some support uh, to our production companies so that they can get to the where they need to be and, and get this inflation back down and under control. So some of these issues seem like they come from uh, some cultural sort of cultural trends and cultural messaging. And I think when you go back to talking about maybe Republicans often are better at doing certain types of messaging that is faster, easier at getting a message across or creating connotations with certain types of people. I think the, the minimum wage is kind of an interesting one as well. When you talk about how we should teach about unions, um, it seems like there is messaging that goes out about unions, that goes out about minimum wage, and it often is sort of demonizing uh, entry-level jobs for workers who don't have certain types of degrees or skills or licenses, right? I mean, sort of like the argument against raising minimum wage is either that it will be hard for small businesses or oftentimes that you don't deserve to make more because of the type of job you're doing. So is that a messaging issue that maybe Democrats should be doing uh, some kind of work on to try to change that mentality to actually get some traction on raising minimum wages? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be a really great example of how we could do a better job at getting our messaging out about that, especially when there's there's support that we can offer. You know, federal legislation, there are bills that are right now um, being heard to help small business owners who are struggling because they are not receiving the income that they were receiving prior to the pandemic, right? There's grants that are being discussed. And so absolutely, I think that if we can do a better job at sharing our messaging about that and what it looks and even what is on the house floor, I don't think we talk about that enough. And there are folks who have told me, you know, Alicia, C-SPAN can be very boring. It definitely can be. However, there are, we have access to the internet, right? And uh, there's websites and there is data that you can find to understand what is being discussed and what you should be watching for. So another issue that a lot of young people in particular uh, care about, and there's not often a lot of traction for in Congress, is the climate crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a vision for what America should be doing to address it, whether that's green energy or something more comprehensive? Absolutely. You know, I I think that this gets all kind of tongue-tied, too. I think we have had a problem getting the messaging out. And so I'm going to be very clear. I am in support of whatever is going to help move us forward and preserve this country. Uh, With green energy comes more jobs uh, to the district. We need that. Not only that, we know that the weather has been impacting uh, everyone in this district, in our state. Um, Look at what our weather is doing now. When I was driving to Winnebago to work, we had flooding happen, and um, that's when Fremont really got hammered uh, with uh, the flooding that occurred. So I couldn't even drive on Highway 77 through Fremont, right, because of everything that was happening there. Um, I don't think that I could pick it up, and so hopefully that's the right highway. I believe that it is. Um, 75 goes through, like, to Cayman. I believe. And so um, I ended up taking a, a few other routes and I would drive through Blair and I would drive through Tacoma. And I remember watching how people were talking about the flooding is done, the water is gone. And I'm like, there's still water in some of these farms in Blair. There's water in Tacoma. I don't understand what you guys are speaking of. I'm still seeing it every day when I'm driving to and from work. And I actually uh, one day pulled over and spoke to a farmer and he told me that he had to get an archaeologist out because of the standing water that had been in his farm for so long. I had no idea that that farming could be that extensive. And I am someone who detasseled corn. Uh, That was my first job in the summer, right? So I understand what it's like to be on a farm. And there are certain smells and scents and jobs. Once you learn them, you can't unlearn them, right? Like as you're driving, if you're in Nebraska, we have a great cattle industry. We have great beef. If you have been around cows, as you're driving anywhere near cows, you are going to know before seeing them that you are approaching cows, right? Um, And so we have to do a better job of talking about what the issue is. And the issue is we have damaged our environment. There have been numerous reports that have come out recently that have said that. And if we don't make a change, we are going to continue with this damage and we are going to be in a world of hurt pretty soon. So I am going to support anything that will help stop the damage that we are doing to this planet and and ultimately to ourselves. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Alicia Shelton, who is running to represent Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District in the House of Representatives, a seat currently held by incumbent Don Bacon. What actions do you want to see from your representatives in Congress? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on one of our upcoming shows. In particular, it seems like the tensions with Russia have created a potentially new opportunity for imagining what Uh, less Russia-dependent energy future might look like. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I know that that a lot of people have proposed that perhaps this is the opportunity and the impetus to start thinking about revitalizing grids to use more solar, wind, or whatever might be more renewable. On the flip side, you've got Don Bacon tweeting about bringing back the Keystone XL pipeline pretty much every day. So, I mean, do you have a vision about is this an opportunity for American energy independence, but maybe not necessarily in the traditional fossil fuel way? Oh, my goodness. 
You know, I here's the thing. Um, right now, what is happening with Russia is I think that we are able to to see uh, we we we're getting a glimpse into uh, what could what we could do differently. Um, and that's being open to change. Um, right now, I think what we should be focused on is making sure that our country is safe, that, you know, America has always been uh, a country that stands for democracy, right? Freedom is ingrained in our existence. It's the foundation of this country. And I am really excited that we have been able to uh, support Ukraine and standing up for their freedom. Um, I think that what has happened in with Russia is a really good glimpse of ideas of what we can do. And I would support the scientists and let them lean on lean on their expertise in this area. Um, and I, I can't I can't speak about, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of hearing about these fossil fuels. Uh, that cannot be the only messaging that they have learned. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, to go back to the point that's come up several times, I mean, this sort of like simple message over and over again tends to get a result, yeah. right? So he's, you know, regularly saying Keystone XL pipeline is the answer, Keystone XL pipeline is the answer. And it seems like the approach would be then, all right, I guess a certain number of people start to associate that with the way forward. Yeah. You know, and, and so I guess uh, taking in a, a, a exactly a point from what I have said and what they do, we need to focus on green energy and all measures that will save this planet going forward. And I am in support of that. So what are, what are some of the other big issues as far as your vision for what America could look like if you, with you in the House of Representatives that we haven't talked about yet today? Well, we've talked about women's health care, though. The reproductive rights is something that we have not, um, I guess, specifically uh, hit on. Um, with me, my husband and I, three years ago, uh, we did the, I, the process called IVF. Um, and we ended up uh, having a miscarriage. We had a successful pregnancy, but it ended in miscarriage. And at that point, I am so lucky that he had great insurance benefits. He was at, my husband was at Union Pacific and then ended up switching and working at ConAgra. Um, we had a great team at the Women's uh, Methodist Hospital and I was offered a shot. And, and that shot is what people considered a medical abortion. But I'm here today because I have access to that shot. Um, and until a woman is in a situation wherein you're trying to grow uh, a family and now you're faced with, oh, you're having a miscarriage, but you're still producing HCG, so this can become highly deadly, uh, you don't know what it feels like. And I think that government has no business <laughs> in deciding healthcare. Uh, what we need to make sure we do is have access, right? The government should make sure everyone has access, but let's leave the decision of people's health in the hands of the professionals who went to school to do that exact thing. The doctors, the nurse practitioners, the PAs, those are the folks that should be helping us make decisions about what we need in our body. And so that's something where there's obviously a lot of bills going around, particularly in Texas and Tennessee recently, uh, where the I mean, abortion has been a wedge issue uh, that has been, it seems like, mobilizing for a lot of voters. Do you think there's a way to talk about it in more nuanced ways? Like your story there obviously is very different than the type of picture that often gets painted about abortion from Republicans. So, I mean, how, how do you get to a point where having a conversation like that can go to places that really share people's experiences without having to be in this highly sensationalized wedge issue manner? Oh, my gosh. I think we have to speak about it like this. Look, abortion is good health care. Um, if there is a measure that if I go to the hospital and anybody, any family, if you imagine that any person goes to the hospital and maybe you're taking them in and, and they say in order to save their life, we have to do X. Give me X. I want to have access to X. We are in the brightest country in the world. We are in the land of the free. I want to be able to make the choice that is going to ensure that my family is here for as long as possible, right? And, and in a way that we can continue to maintain our health and our quality of life, our normal level of functioning. Give me X. It doesn't matter what X is. I don't have any input on um if somebody wants to take, you know, a drug that's controversial, if that is the choice that you have made, we have free will. Uh, I'm glad that you have access to it and that you can afford that drug. Give us what we need. 
Um, and I think that that's exactly where we have to go with it. Look, if I need something, uh, if I'm going to school and I need a graphic calculator, I want to be able to purchase that calculator. If I'm going to school and I need books, if I'm working a job and I need an apron and I need supplies, I want to be able to get supplies. How is this any different? We should be able to have access to what we need. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's another just sort of philosophical difference, right? So it's this idea that government should be there to help people when they need help uh, and maybe a little bit I don't know, less judgmental sometimes about how we decide who deserves help and who doesn't. Do you see that as kind of a philosophical difference you have maybe with Don Bacon? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am someone, as I said before, you know, putting myself in other people's shoes. I've been able to advocate for them. You know, if I'm working with a client and they tell me uh, that they need to uh, uh, go to Mexico to get a procedure because it's not offered here. My first question is going to be like, I can't believe it's not offered here. Like, is it going to be safe going to Mexico, right? We're going to be talking through uh, the steps to do that. But ultimately, if that's something that's going to make their life better, absolutely, I'm going to be in support of that. And that's how I try to look at policies. Uh, we have individuals all, you know, in Florida, we're talking about banning books. <laughs> we're talking about, don't say gay. What? <laughs> If we have free will, give me the access to everything that I need to be successful. That is the American dream. Um, and that is what we should do for each other. And um, um, it's, it's, it is so disappointing that we have members of, of government, we have elected officials who don't look at it that way. So for people who want to learn more about your campaign or want to get involved in upcoming events maybe that you have going on, what's the best place people should go? So they can visit my website, which is my name. So it's aliciashelton.com. That's A-L-I-S-H-A-S-H-E-L-T-O-N.com. And on the website, you will have access to all of my social media profiles, which is Alicia K. Shelton. Um, And you can also sign up to volunteer and donate at that website. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. It's nice to get to know you a little bit better about your vision, your philosophy. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Riverside Chance is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock. <laughs>